Hello and God bless you today from Carlsbad, New Mexico. You are listening to a broadcast of New Song Christian Fellowship. We hope you enjoy the message today, and we'd love to hear from you. If anything in this message has touched you, you have a prayer request, or just want to reach out, you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash New Song Carlsbad NM. You can also mail us at Post Office Box 761, Carlsbad, New Mexico, zip code 88221. Please enjoy this message and have a very blessed day. In the front of your Bible, chapter 10, verse 1. Leviticus, chapter 10, verse 1. I'm going to be talking to you about a very important subject this morning. I want you to give me your best attention. It's called Strange Fire. How many of you know that God loves you? He gives you lots of freedom. But he also expects you, listen to me, he expects you to do things his way and not your way. Amen? There's a reason for that. God knows everything, and he knows even the future. Now, the devil doesn't know what the future holds. Only God, only God knows what's in the future. Therefore, whatever he asks you to do, it's based around his knowledge of everything. And it's always for the best because we know that he loves us. We know that he would never do anything to harm us. In the Bible... There is uh, the story of two, two sons, Nadab and Abihu. They are the sons of Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother. When Moses was setting up the uh, government, so to speak, as they went out into the wilderness, Aaron became the first high priest. Aaron became uh, the spokesman for Moses. He had a gift for gab, so to speak. He had a gift for talking that Mo- even Moses didn't have. And Aaron was uh, married to a woman called Eli Sheba. And they had several children. These were the two oldest sons. They, because they, I'm not sure what motivated them to do what they did, but because they were the sons of the high priest, maybe they thought that they had an extra uh, cause to do whatever they wanted that nobody else had. Now let's look at this story in Leviticus 10 verse 1. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer. Now that's, a censer is a bowl made out of gold. And they put fire in it and they put incense on it and they offered strange fire before the Lord. Now let me explain that to you. God set it up so that, and later we saw it more graphically in the teachings of the temple. The temple was a building that had two rooms in it, separated by a veil. And uh, on the outside of the building was what they called the courtyard. There was only one way to get into the temple. You had to go through the door uh, into the courtyard, and then you could go to the entrance to the temple. Now, the first thing you saw when you went into the courtyard was the brazen altar. That was a place where the, the fire, listen to me, the fire of God burned continually. It was never allowed to go out. And the reason for that was God consumed every sacrifice and gift 
that his people gave him with fire that showed them that he was pleased with what they had done and he received it by consuming those sacrifices and gifts with his fire. And that fire had to come off of the brazen altar. Now these two boys, I don't know if they were busy, uh, they didn't have time to go out to the brazen altar. Uh, It got time for, I guess they thought that they were going to offer something to the Lord. Let's see what happens here. The Lord, which he commanded, uh, let's see, strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. In other words, they made an offering of fire that God didn't give them permission to do. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Let me tell you something. Don't fool with God. Uh, I'm I'm frightened of God, not not the kind of fear you're, you're thinking of. I'm frightened. It's more of a respectful fear. Because I know my God and I know what he can do. And, and listen, even though I know he loves me without conditions, he's not going to allow me to walk over him, uh, to do things that he didn't command me to do. He's just not. And so these two boys died because they offered. I don't know where they got this fire. They may have gotten it. There was another place where there was fire inside the first room. When you went in the first room of the temple, on your left was the menorah, the candlestick. Now, there was a fire there, but on the right there was a table of showbread, 12 loaves of bread, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then back by the veil was the altar of incense, which burned day and night. Uh, and that incense was like a sweet-smelling savor of worship. And, and I love this word, waft, W-A-F-T. It wafted in a circle up into the nostrils of God. They may have gotten the fire off of there. Wherever they got it, they didn't get it from the brazen altar, and they knew better. They knew what, what God had commanded, and they, they decided to do it their way, and they paid a big price. There was another time when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back in to Jerusalem, and they had it on a cart, if you'll remember that story. And the cart wheel uh, hit a bump in the road, and the cart started teetering back and forth. Look, it looked like it was going to fall off the cart. Now, there was a man there who decided, well, God needs my help here. I'll, I'll reach out and, and, and get a hold of the cart and prevent that. Now, that sounds good. It's a good intention of his heart. But what he forgot was there, God, there was a commandment from God that only the, the priests that were trained could touch that ark, and he wasn't one of them. And he, uh, God devoured him also for his presumption. If that's a word you don't know, look it up in your dictionary when you get home. Presumption. It's a powerful, powerful word. These two boys paid the ultimate price. Now you can imagine Aaron standing there looking at his two dead sons. What is he thinking? He's wondering what Moses thinks. He's the leader. And then Moses said unto, the, unto Aaron, This is that the Lord spoke, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come near me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. You know, Aaron probably went through a whole gamut of emotions. Uh, he, he self-doubt, what's my God doing? And eventually, what's the emotion that always c- comes around when something like that happens to you? Anger. God, why did you allow that? Or why did you do that? I was in a, a funeral once years ago, and a, a little baby, probably three months old, four months old, 
And there was a, an older woman, found out later it was his grandmother. She was on the second row pacing back and forth while I was preaching. Pacing on her feet back and forth. Back. And finally she stopped and looked at me and she shook her fist and said, You tell God to stop killing our children. Now, needless to say, the service was over at that point. But I kept talking and I said, let me assure you of something. God didn't kill your child. There was a man here in Carlsbad that had a daughter, one of the most beautiful young girls I've ever seen in my life, 17 years old. She got hooked up with the wrong crowd. She was a Christian. She got hooked up with a guy that was giving her heroin. Uh, he took her in his car and they moved, went to Florida. She overdosed uh, while she was home one one afternoon. Nobody was there with her. And she tried to get to the phone. When they found her body, her hand was reaching for the phone. It was just a few inches from the phone. She didn't make it. God, why did you take my child? Now, I remember I said, God can see the future. And in his infinite mercy, what would his mercy be to allow this young girl to continue knowing that Probably she was going to get deeper and deeper and deeper into drugs, maybe get some of her friends into the drugs with her, and, and who knows what she would do. Or would it be grace and mercy to take her while she was a lover of the Lord and she can spend eternity with him? What, what would be mercy? What would be grace? I know some of you in here have lost your children. And I love you. Isaiah 57 Verse 1, righteous people die and no one knows why. They fail to realize that they are being taken away from evil days to come. Isaiah 57, 1, look that up when you go home. I have been confronted by parents and others on many occasions. And listen, I don't always have the answer. I don't. There's sometimes I can't tell you why. God, uh, we don't, sometimes when we don't directly uh, blame God, we use this uh, phrase, why did you allow that? And I've learned over the years that God will usually allow what we allow. You know why? Because he's given us a free will. And he won't usurp that free will. The reason he did that is because God wanted to receive genuine love. He wanted... When, you, when, he, when he heard you say with your mouth, God, I love you, he wanted to know that it was real, not just you being a robot, God, I love you, God, I love you. He wanted to know that you were reaching out to him with real love because our God desires to be loved and worshiped and praised. And he, he's, he, he's the only one that has that right to demand that. So Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Eliphan, Ezaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said unto them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. These two men did a reckless act. I don't know the whole story. Maybe they were drunk. Maybe they just lost their fear of the Lord for a moment, thinking, well, uh, God will see our hearts and know that 
we ain't got time to go out to the brazen altar. We'll, we'll get the fire off of the altar of incense. I don't know what they thought. But whatever they thought, it cost them their lives. It was reckless. And they offered God a common, unsanctified fire. It was not set apart, but it was ordinary and it was man-made. It didn't come from God. Listen, God wants you to offer things that He has done in your life. Some of you may be wondering, for example, ever since I gave my heart to the Lord, I, I had a two-week honeymoon. Everything was wonderful. I thought I'd never sin again. Uh, my whole life would be uh, wonderful, happy again. How many of you thought that? But you thought wrong, didn't you? After that honeymoon was over, suddenly things began to happen. But if you'll remember, every time you went through something, and it was hard, and it made you cry, if you stayed with it, if you stayed with God, when it was over with, you could look back and say, man, I learned something. I don't think I could have gotten it any other way than the way God did it. And I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. God, thank you that you allowed me to go through that. Why is he doing that? He's trying to mature you, raise you up, and get you into the image of his own son. Why? Because he's called you. And every one of you in here is ordained to a ministry. Every one of you have been called. And I want to ask you something. Are you fulfilling that call? Are you in the middle of God's plan and purpose for your life? A lot of people, they come to church, and that's good. They, they tie, that's good. But let me ask you, don't raise your hand, but let me ask you something. Are you spending time with him every day? I'm talking about just you and him. I was with Liz, we were seeing her sister in Española. This was right after we were saved. And uh, I was going through some things. And I told Liz, I, I got to get with the Lord. So I took the car and drove up into the Hamas Mountains by myself. And I was slumped down in the seat. And I was so depressed, the steering wheel was up here, and I was looking under it. And the car was kind of weaving down this gravelly road. And this voice said, roll the window down. So I rolled it down and look outside. I looked outside, and there were these beautiful purple thistles, flowers, by the road. And there were these butterflies everywhere. And as I, as I saw that suddenly my, my spirit began to lift a little bit and I felt the presence of God himself get in the car with me on the passenger side. I said, Lord, is that you? He said, John, did, didn't I give you a gift just a few weeks ago? The gift of a prayer language. Now, this is not the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is one of the nine gifts of the Spirit. You heard that this morning uh, over here and then it was interpreted. Those are two of the nine gifts of the Spirit. Prayer language is, is a tongue, but it's different. I said, yes, Lord, you gave me that. He said, and didn't I tell you that when you used it, you would be edified? Yes, Lord. And he said, are you depressed right now? I said, yes, Lord. He said, then why don't you pray in your prayer language? Well, I don't feel like it. Aren't you glad you received it by faith, not by feelings? 
So I just opened my mouth and began to pray in a language I did not know, did not understand one word that I was saying. Within a minute or two, I had slid back up in the seat. My head was over the steering wheel. I was looking outside at the butterflies and the thistles, and I looked at the, in the sky. It was a beautiful day. There were scattered clouds, and a little gentle breeze was blowing. It smelled so good up in the mountains. And suddenly, I don't even remember what I was depressed about anymore. Are you, are you following me? God told me one day, he said, John, we've got to get all that junk out of your life. See, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I didn't go to church ever. I was a user. I used girls for what I thought was my own purpose. Didn't care about your feelings. And there's a lot of guys like that. And you ladies in here know exactly what I'm talking about. They'll use you and they'll abuse you. Let me tell you a little thing about that. You got a teenage daughter, you tell them the story. If a guy comes to you and says, if you love me, you will, you look at him and say back, if you love me, you won't ask. Amen? Virginity is a gift that God gave to you girls to give to your husband. It's a gift. And I think God knew what he was talking about. Unfortunately, we live in a society today where uh, that gift is just being thrown out there to whoever comes by. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm just saying, let's, let's take, and look, if that happened to you, just go to the Lord and say, Lord, please forgive me. He will. He'll wipe the slate clean. But when you're doing anything in your life, Make sure you're doing it as unto the Lord. Don't offer him strange fire like these two boys did. You, you offer up to him uh, the promise, for example, when you got married, the two of you were standing there and the, and the minister led you in vows. And you said, as long as we both shall live, I will be close to you, honest with you, and faithful to you as long as we live, period. You see, marriage is a lifetime thing. I've been married for 50 years. I've never cheated on my wife, ever, and I wouldn't and won't. And she's in the same situation. But you see, God put that marriage together because I found the Lord just before, about the same time we got married. And God quickly started bringing us together as a Christian couple he had a plan for our lives. Some of it was easy and some of it was really hard. God wanted me to do it his way, not my way. It had to be, listen to me, it has to be fire from God mingled with blood. That's the only sacrifice that God will receive. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Strange fire, listen, is a self-will act of worship. It's your, it's your act saying, I, I, think, I think God would like this. I'll, I'll worship him the way I want to. There's some commandments in the Bible. For example, uh, how many of you know that 
And you've wondered why, well, they raised their hands. Why did they do that? Because it's a commandment in the Bible. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. The Bible says, lift up holy hands unto the Lord. See, when you lift your hand, that is a sign of surrender. Surrender to your God. Lift up holy hands unto the Lord. A sacrifice is an offering of the life of a person or an animal or an object to pay homage to the deity. That's what a sacrifice is. You know, God, God made the greatest sacrifice that could ever be paid by offering his son. Let me ask you, have you made a sacrifice to him? I'm going to tell you some of the greatest, or at least one of the greatest sacrifices you could ever offer God. That would be to obey him with an act of forgiveness towards someone who has crushed you and wounded you and hurt you. And even now as I speak, I know there are people in this room right now that you have somebody in your life who hurt you and you have yet to forgive them. Something inside of you says, don't forgive them, they don't deserve it. Well, let me ask you, did you deserve the forgiveness that you got from God? He gave it to you by an act of his will, and he wants you to give forgiveness to those who have hurt you by an act of your will. And he says, Jesus said, if you don't forgive those who've hurt you, I won't forgive you. That's big. First time I ever read that in the Bible, I shook. Again, fear of God. We are a power-hungry generation. We want God's power, but we want to control it. Many want the supernatural, and we see in, in America today and around the world uh, different groups rising up, witchcraft, uh, mediums, all that supernatural stuff that's not from God at all, it's from the devil, and people don't really care where it came from. Why do you think people get involved in Satan worship? It's because they want power, and they don't care where it comes from. They want power over other people. It's a power that doesn't belong to you. If you're going to be prepared in your life to move in, in God's power, you've got to first be molded into the image of Jesus. The only way you can do that is keep your eyes on Jesus and read his word every day and spend time with him. Now, you say, how much should I read? It doesn't really matter. I'm going to challenge you to read your Bible every day for five minutes. Just five minutes. How many of you think you could do that? Then take that challenge and go for it. And while you're in there, take another five minutes to zip your mouth shut and close your eyes and listen. Because God will speak to you if you've approached him first, not with your want list. God, give me this, give me that. I need a new car. I need a bigger bank account. We need this. We need it. Don't, don't start your prayer life with that. Start with this. Lord, I love you. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my God, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. And when you start your worship with that, 
you've immediately got his attention. If you want God to hear your voice, to answer your request, it's okay in that prayer time later at the end to give God your want list because the Bible also says you have not because you ask not. So it's okay. But when you start with worship, you've got his attention just like that. He comes, he's right beside you. Okay, just, just ask me, I dare you. I dare you to ask me. Let's just see if I'll bless you or not. We've got to change everything about our relationship with God, the way we pray, the way we read his word, the way we minister to other people. I've done some crazy things in my life. We had a doctor here in town that will, will remain nameless. He's not here anymore, but uh, he was my doctor, and at the time he, he kind of made fun of me. He knew I was a, a minister, and he made fun of me a lot. One day we, uh, after church, we went into Fur, remember Fur's cafeteria? Went in there, and... Uh, we went through the door in the line. Line went clear out of the parking lot. and We went through the double doors into where the food was, where you got your tray and all. And he was coming with his tray this way. He already had his food. And uh, he saw me and uh, he said, Hey, John, how you doing? How's your God? Or something, something flippant like that. And God spoke to me. Go over there and pray for him. Here? Here in, in this room with all these people? Yeah. I went over there, and he had his uh, face turned away from me, and I tapped him on his shoulder, and he turned around, and I took both of his hands off the tray. Lord, I just pray for Dr. Blake. Please just bless him and help him to get to know you soon. He's over there doing this, trying to get away from me. Well, and I did. Let me tell you something. A few months after that, he got very ill. In fact, he almost died. And went up to the hospital, second floor, and there was his name. That's when they would put names on the doors. They don't do that anymore. His name was on the door, but all over that door was plastered signs. Do not enter. Call the, the desk nurse. See this person. Don't go in this room. I just went over there and flipped that door open and walked right in. He was laying on his side facing the door. It looked like his tongue was hanging out, and he opened his eyes and saw me. You know what he did? He did that. I walked over there. I said, what can I do for you, Doc? He said, please. I said, please, pray for me. That's what he said. Now, a lot of you wouldn't do that because you got a pride problem or you're afraid of what people think. You might think I was impetuous by doing that. And I don't know what the end result of that would be. He moved away not too long after that. I don't know. I, I just pray. I don't even know if he's still alive. But if he is, I pray that he knows the Lord. You know, some people only get one chance to minister to somebody who's lost. And you've always got to be aware of when that. And then... When you understand that, you understand why God, and now listen to this word, He's dealing with you. He's dealing with your flesh. He wants that flesh out of your life so that you could be a blessing to God and His kingdom. And so that you can be a blessing to people that don't know Him. Everybody in this room knows somebody who is not saved that I don't know and will never meet. You listening? Sometimes we can't handle the responsibility of a ministry. 
We don't want another great outpouring of God's power until we're ready for it because it's always accompanied by a corresponding measure of God's jealousy. Did you know that the Bible says, uh, Exodus 34, 14, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. God will not share you with any other God, any other belief, anything. He's a jealous God. Isn't that a sin? No. There, there are some forms of jealousy that are just fine, like, like uh, being jealous over your mate. This is my mate. When I saw Liz coming down the, the aisle when we got married, I was thinking, nobody heard it, but it was in my mind, that is mine. That's not yours. It's not yours or yours. That's mine. That will always be mine, and nobody else will ever have that. That's mine. How many of you husbands know I'm talking about? Well, no, none of you. Okay, well, that's good. Maybe they'll all get saved today. That's mine. God will not share you with anyone or anything. God, listen to this, God wants to give you new wine. The only problem is you've got an old wine skin. When you take new wine and you put it in an old wineskin, that wine is fermenting, and when it ferments, it grows, and the bag that it's in starts bulging, and if you don't do something pretty quick, it's going to explode. First of all, let God prepare your old wineskin and make it a new wineskin. Amen? New wine. That's why this whole charismatic thing, is it just blew people in Christianity all over the world, just blew their minds. The charismatic movement, for example, went into the uh, uh, South, Southern Ireland, Repub uh, Republic of uh, Ireland, were 98% Catholic. The charismatic movement got into that Catholic church over there, and those Catholics were being saved by the tens of thousands And I was in Scotland uh, one year after being in Ireland, and a, and a guy who was a Protestant, he pulled me aside and he said, you were in Ireland, why didn't you jump on those Catholics and tell them to quit worshiping Mary? And I looked at this guy and I said, I don't have to tell them that. That's the first thing God tells them whenever they uh, come to the Lord. Are you supposed to pray to Mary? No. You pray to God in the name of Jesus because Jesus is the name that gives you access to the Father. Are you listening? That's our problem sometimes. We're too judgmental. Let's let God take care of the judging and the changing, and we'll just take care of obeying Him. Does that make sense? Sure it does. But you've got to prepare for the new, the new wine. You are the bride and you've got to prepare yourself. I remember when Liz came out of that room. Uh, they wouldn't let me see her all day. I'd never even seen her wedding dress, I don't think. And she came out. She had a veil over her face. She, her dad was standing there waiting. And she came in there and took his arm. Oh, my gosh. She was prepared. She spent more than a whole day. Actually, she spent months getting ready for that one day. But that final day, she spent all day preparing herself. 
Everything had to be just right. The dress had to be perfect, makeup perfect. The veil had to be perfect, everything perfect. It was the day that every woman dreams about. She came out and got into that aisle with her dad. I'll never forget that as long as I live. For one thing, I felt that she had spent that day preparing herself just for me. Made me feel pretty special. These two men that we're talking about today, they lightly esteemed the importance of truthfulness and integrity. They, listen, don't take anything that God tells you lightly. If God speaks to you, it's always powerful and it's always life-changing and it's always filled with love, grace, and mercy and forgiveness. Don't ever forget that. Then there were two other people in the Bible Ananias and Sapphira, New Testament. Jesus was gone. The disciples were, I guess you'd call it a, a church. They were putting churches together. More like a commune. They were living together. They were taking money and, and putting it all together, and everybody was, uh, you know, taking out of the pot, and that's the way the first one started. But Ananias and Sapphira had a better idea. They had a big piece of property, and, and they sold it, and they thought, well, nobody will be upset if we keep a little of that back for us. After all, it's ours. Well, they gave the, they gave the property, but they kept some, and then they came into the disciple, and the Lord gave him a word of knowledge. I guess who was it came in first? Uh, the, the lady? And he said, what did you do? And she just fell dead right there on the floor. And her husband came in. They took her out. Her husband comes in later. Husband first. Okay. All right. Thank you. And then the, the lady came in, and she falls dead on the floor. Don't, don't be presumptuous with God. And by the way, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but God can read your mind. There's a lot of times I pray in my mind. You know, Paul said he prayed without ceasing. I uh, one day I said, well, how do you do that, Paul? Don't you, wouldn't that upset people around you? He, I'm sure he prayed in his mind. L listen, I do that when I go to bed at night. I'm laying there, and I don't want to disturb my wife, and I'm just praying. I either pray softly with my mouth or I pray in my mind. God can read my mind. He can hear what I'm saying. Listen, God cannot build a movement on a half-committed people. We've got to be totally committed to God. We can't be partially obedient. We've got to be totally obedient. If we want something to happen in this church, we're going to have to totally obey God. If we're going to defeat this COVID thing, we're, we're going to have to obey God and do what he says. And we're going to have to obey him to the point that we may be giving some things that we have to people that don't have anything. The Bible teaches that God's latter-day power, that's the days we're moving into now, will be the greatest power the world has ever seen. There's coming a great revival. You know why? Because God is going to have a harvest. It's going to be during the tribulation period. 144,000 Jewish people are going to find the Lord and give their hearts to Jesus, become Christians. And during that seven-year period, they're going to be out there in the streets 
preaching the gospel and others are going to come to the Lord. God's going to have a harvest among his own people. Those are his children. He never changes his mind even though they turned his back, their back on his son. God didn't change his mind about them. Everything that he prophesied about them has come to pass. He said in the latter days, I will, first of all, he said, I'm going to take you out of your land because of your disobedience, but in the latter days, I'm going to bring you back into your land. That happened on May the 14th, 1948, the year I was born. The Jewish people had already been coming into their land, but they needed to set up their own government, and they did, and that was the day they declared their independence. That land doesn't belong to the Palestinians or the Arabs. That land belongs to the Jewish people. It's theirs. It was given to them by God on a mountain as he spoke with Moses. He said, Moses, you turn around in a 360-degree circle. Everything you see, as far as you can see, and they were on the top of the highest mountain there, everything that you see, I'm giving it to you today. It's yours forever. And i got to tell you, the land that they're in now is only a very small part of what God gave them. Less than half of the size of New Mexico. At its narrowest point, it's only five miles wide. But it's still theirs. The closer we get to God's glory, the more dangerous presumption can get if we're not careful to presume. Presume means to presume, well, God, God won't have a problem with this. I presume that God... Won't, uh, he'll, he'll handle this okay. I, I presume that if I do it my way instead of God's way, he, he'll still put his favor on it. No, he won't. No, he won't. And we've got to stop second-guessing God. What, in other words, what does God want? What does he think? We've got to get it out of the Word. You've got that book. You take it home with you every day. If you want to know what God thinks and what he wants, it's in the book. Get it out and read it. But some of you, the only word you're getting is what you're getting right now. And that's good. I'm glad you're here. But you've got to get in the word for yourself. You've got to grow for yourself. You've got to develop it. Somebody said, well, I don't like to read. Well, then get you. Listen, there are Bibles out there that are they're called paraphrases. I don't recommend you study out of them. But for just reading, they, re, they read like novels. They're, they've been rewritten so that it, they're easy to read. Okay? The Living Bible is a good example. Good News for Modern Man is another one. Uh, the first Bible I ever, ever had was Good News for Modern Man. It was a paperback, and I, I tell you, I took a red pen, and I marked that, if you know me, uh, all those books in the office, they're all underlined. Every word in those books, underlined. Stars, I put stars on something that's really important, and I'd make little notes. And I'd do Why do I do that? Because the more you do that, the more you're going to consume and hopefully the more will stick in your brain. Of course, when you get old, older, how many of you are getting older and you, you recognize that your brain's not quite what it used to be about 30, 40 years ago? I'm a little bit forgetful. and uh, Yeah, I know. It's, who feeds me? I'm feeding you. Who feeds me? I have to feed myself most of the time. So I'm reading four or five books a week. Uh, Carol loves me. Right, Carol? I'm probably your biggest customer, aren't I, or close to it. Pretty close to it. And by the way, I recommend you go in, into her shop, Joseph's room. It's right down there. What's the address again? 524 South Canyon. It's also the same building that 
Jay, Jay's Automotive is in, is in. Her husband's a mechanic. They own that business and they own that uh, bookstore. Some of you have never been in there. I, I pity you. Uh, she doesn't just have, you know, I went in the bookstore, the Christian bookstore in Roswell. What a pathetic thing that was. They had little gifts of crystal, you know, little things you hang off your tree. And, and I said, well, where's the books? Oh, we don't have those. People won't buy them. Carol's uh, shop is filled with books, filled with Bibles, filled with commentaries. Whatever you want, it's in there. And it's good stuff. One of the reasons that God is trying to change you, and you've got to get this if you don't get anything else, you are the temple of God. Jesus said, it's a good thing that I go, because if I don't go, I won't be able to send you this gift called the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the things I have done you shall do, and greater things than these shall you do. God's not in this building. He may be right now because we're here meeting. But God's house is not this building. You are his house. And I've told you this before. You are not a body. You live in one. And if you're afraid of death, you need to hear what I'm saying to you. When you die, it's not like lights out, all of it's over for you. When you die, in the blink of an eye, your spirit exits your body. We, bu we bury your body or it's, uh, you know, cremation's a big, a big deal today. But your spirit leaves your body and you're, if you know the Lord, you're with him in the blink of an eye. If you don't, you're taken to a place called hell. It's a holding place. It's not your final destination. If you don't know the Lord, your final destination will be a place called the lake of fire. Yeah, fire for eternity. There's no getting out of it. You can't say, well, I, I, when I get there, I'll earn my way out. Nope. It, you either do it here, now, on this planet, or you won't do it at all. Everybody with me? Is that scary enough for you? Because it's the truth. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Everybody look at me. You are holy. Look at your neighbor and say, you are holy. But you know what we've done? We've brought idols into God's house. We brought idols into God's house. We brought things into God's house that defile him and defile the house. When will we stop? When will we begin to walk in obedience and holiness? When? When will you bow your knee before the Lord and say, Lord, not only will I stop questioning your method, I welcome it. If you need to, uh, rip something out of me, please do it and do it today. I yield myself to you. Please, Lord, take this away from me. Take it out. I don't want it. It's ugly. I need something that's going to help me uh, bring people to the Lord, not drive them further away. And judgment, your judgment, will drive people away. But your love and your mercy and your acceptance will draw them. I promise. God is a jealous God, and he's jealous over his word. That's why God tells me all the time, John, when you're preaching God's word, you got to be careful. Let me show you why. Revelation 20, and I'm about to close. Revelation 22, verse 18. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. 
It, and if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Be careful. And did you know that in heaven today as we speak, there are probably many books, but one of them is a special book. It's called the book of life. When you get there, there may be an angel goes over to that book and starts flipping through the pages. You know what he's looking for? He's looking for your name. And you better pray it's in there. It's a real book. It really exists. If you know the Lord, they've written your name in that book, probably in solid gold, because that's how much you mean to God. Lord Jesus, if we want God to be in our midst, we want him to be around us and inside of us, we've got to become holy like he is. Now, I know that holiness comes from him. But what I'm talking about is, are you obeying God? If you want, want the anointing, how many of you want to be prepared to receive the anointing? Because it's holy, and God won't send it into an into a, a, a old wineskin that will only waste it. That's James chapter 4, verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that the, the, that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the, the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? We can approach the throne of grace boldly, but when we come into the blood of Jesus standing on his righteousness, by the way, boldly doesn't mean presumptuous. Boldly means you boldly come into his presence and his word, believing what he says. Holiness without legalism, boldness without presumption, and power without pride. I went through all of that. I used to go to meetings. The gifts would flow through me. All 12 of those gifts had flown through, flowed through me at many different times. I asked God to give them all to me. And I would be so pumped up with pride. I'd prophesy over somebody, and they'd come to me later. I'd never seen them in life. They'd come to me later and say, how would you know that? I, I hadn't told anybody that, and you knew it. Word of knowledge. And finally, and boy, I was pumped up, man. I, I am really great, you know that? I'm one of God's great ones. And God said, uh, he came to me one day and said, John, you're not going to uh, prophesy or be using any of my gifts for one year. He told me that. You know, I didn't say anything, but I thought, he can read my mind. I thought, we'll see about that. And I go to a Bible study somewhere, and I said, we'll see about that. We get, it's time to pray. We get in a circle, hold hands. And I'm going to prophesy. Ah, 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 nothing. I kid you not, for one solid year, nothing. I finally gave up. The year went by on the very night of, the, of that year being over. I was getting out of my car going into a Bible study, and God said, John, I'm releasing you back into my ministry tonight. I think you've learned who gets the glory.
I get all the glory, you get none. If you get glory, it'll be because God gives it to you. And let me, let me close by saying this. One of the most glorious things that God will ever give you is a glorified body. When you die, your spirit goes to be with him, but that's not the end. When he comes back in the rapture, he's, if you're already dead when he comes back, he's going to take your body out of the ground or out of the pile of ashes after it was cremated. He's going to find whatever's left of your body, and he's going to raise it up and reconstitute it, and he's going to glorify it. Now, that's, you got to understand, if you want to know what that means, just look at what happened to Jesus. When he was glorified after his resurrection, he could walk through walls. He could fly. He could be in Jerusalem. It's about a two-and-a-half-hour drive to the, uh, to the Lake uh, Galilee, uh, and, and he could blink his eyes, and he'd be on the shores in the blink of an eye. That's the kind of things that he could do, and so will you. I was sitting on the, in the Guadalupe Mountains over Little Dog Canyon another time when I was depressed. Up there by myself, the wind was blowing. I looked over and I saw this hawk, or a falcon actually. It was a peregrine falcon, which are very rare. The Forest Service had brought them in there to try to reinstitute them into the forest. And I saw this hawk. Had his, he didn't even flap his wings, didn't need to. That air was blowing up out of the canyon straight up. And he had his wings out, and he was soaring. And I began to weep. I said, Lord, I want to do that. And he, you know he said to me? You will. You will. I don't want to miss that, do you? Bow your heads. Now, everybody be real still. Nobody looking around. If you're here this morning and you're not sure that you're going to heaven, you need to get your hand in the air right now because this may be your last chance. If you're not sure you're going to heaven, get your hand up and say, I need, I need prayer. I need help. Anybody room, around the room. Do you have your hand up? Lynn, does she have her? Do you have your hand up? Yeah, why don't you come up here and bring Lynn with you? Anybody else? Lynn, would you bring her up? Anyone else? So you won't be alone. Stand right here facing the audience. Anybody else? Quick. Come up here, Denise. Linda, would you come with her? Just right here standing, facing the audience. Anyone else? Quickly. Okay, I'm going to lead you two girls in a prayer, and you're going to say it out loud with your mouth, and everybody in the room is going to say it with you so you won't be embarrassed. Well, here's what you're going to do. You're going to repent of your sins. You're gonna, that means you're going to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. And then you're going to ask Jesus to come into your heart and be your personal Savior. And if you do that and you mean it, then you'll walk out of here saved today. And when you die, and you will one day, you'll, you're going to go straight into his presence. But without this prayer and you meaning it, it won't happen. So you ready? Do you mean it? Do you mean it? All right, everybody say this prayer after me. You ready? Close your eyes. Say this. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. 
All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But I know you've made a way for me to come to you. It's through Jesus, the cross, and his blood. So right now, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I also ask you to come into my heart and save me. With your help, I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, now did you mean that? Did you mean that? Yes. You're saved. You're going to heaven. Yeah, give him a hand. You're going to heaven. Hallelujah. Don't forget to pray for Denise. She lost her husband Friday. Now I'm going to pray for you, and uh, we're going to let you go. Spend a little time fellowshipping with people. Have a great day today. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we bless you. Thank you for these two that came to you today. Thank you for our church. Thank you that you are a blessing. Father, we lift you up and we worship you now. Give everybody a great day. Thank you, Lord. We bless you now. In Jesus' name, everybody said, you're dismissed. May God bless you today. This has been a broadcast of New Song Christian Fellowship. Thank you for joining us today. If you wish to partner with us and support this ministry, you can give online at newsongcarlsbad.churchcenter.com forward slash giving. Your gift is tax deductible. Please share this broadcast with your friends and neighbors and help us spread the good news of Jesus Christ all across the globe. May the Lord richly bless you.